Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Nintendo Watcher Podcast. I'm Justin, joined as always by my co-host Matthew. Matthew, how's it going? Hey, Justin. Good to see you again. Yeah, you too. Big topic today. We're diving into Chrono Trigger, Chrono Cross, and the weight of sequels. Yeah, we've been talking about this for a a little while now, just you and I, and you know, mentioned a few times on the pod that we're big fans of this particular series, um, the Chrono Cross Remaster. You've been playing a lot of that recently. Um, I've recently dove back into Chrono Trigger, um, and and there's been some really cool, interesting conversations that have popped up around that that um, we kind of wanted to just bring to the pod and see, you know, what are people thinking? You know, those that have played this game, those that are interested in it, you know, how do these games, you know, hold up? What is their connection, uh, and and why why are we, you know, re-experiencing these games at this point in time? Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to set the table a little bit for this conversation. And some of these points we'll, we'll hit on throughout the pod, and then some we'll come back to towards the end. But uh, Chrono Cross Radical Dreamers was really the unexpected remaster of the, the Chrono series. Most people thought that Square Enix would absolutely um, remaster Chrono Trigger before they would do Cross. Chrono Trigger is universally beloved, you know, probably what most would agree is in the top 10 greatest JRPGs of all time. Um, and, and Chrono Cross was, you know, a PS one JRPG that was sort of looked over, you know, it, it, it didn't have a lot of the, the magic that Chrono Cross had. Um, the team took a, a different direction intentionally. Um, and it's just interesting that Enix decided to port that, you know, that particular game first, uh, it's a really controversial um, move. And aside from the criticism about the poor performance of Radical Dreamers, um, it this, from what I've seen, the reviews, uh, Chrono Cross has been a, a welcome addition to the Switch's lineup and the PS4 and 5 and the Xbox. Um, and it's, it's for a lot of people, their first exposure to Chrono Cross. Um, Mm-hmm. Or Chrono in general for, for many. Yeah, that that's a good point. Um, you know, a lot of people weren't around back in the early 90s for uh, Chrono Trigger on the SNES. And, and we've had a few, um, I guess Chrono Trigger, we can get into this a little bit more. But Chrono Trigger has had a few remakes in the past. I think you're, you are playing through one right now. Yeah, I'm currently playing the... Uh, the um, the PC port that is a, itself a port of the mobile port that is itself a kind of, uh, you know, upgraded version of the PlayStation 1 version of the game, right, which obviously started from the, the Super Joe. Now, you know, I thought about picking up the the SNES Classic and playing that version, but I decided I wanted to kind of check it out um, in its most current iteration, because I felt that was more appropriate for, you know, how do we compare it with Chrono Cross as present? You know, let's look at it how people would play Chrono Trigger today. Yeah, absolutely. And let's go straight there. So I haven't played that version of the game yet. I own it on my Apple TV. Um, and I know it's got the new animations, which look amazing. Um, and it's got one cutscene uh, we can talk about a little bit later that makes the connection, the direct connection to Chrono Cross. But um, what's your experience been like playing that game, you know, this many years later with the enhanced version? Yeah, so I mean, 
one thing that's kind of uh, took me a little bit by surprise is um, how much they've cleaned it up since they first initially released this PC version. Because when it first came out, um, it was pretty hideous. I mean, some of the UI elements, uh, Square is pretty um, infamous for really poor UI upgrades, um, which are, you know, most people would agree are pretty significant downgrades in, in reality. Um, and Trigger was a, absolutely a a victim of that when it first was ported to the PC. Um, you know, that mobile uh, UI still hangs around quite a bit. It's not as pretty as the original Super Nintendo or even the PlayStation versions of it, but um, the game runs like a dream. It sounds amazing still. The, you know, the addition of the PlayStation era cutscenes were uh, very welcome. I'd never experienced the um, these little animated, you know, Kira Toriyama animated um, cutscenes before. Um, they don't add a whole lot. They're pretty infrequent. They, you know, they just kind of highlight a few key moments in the in the narrative, um, and then you get to watch them still play out uh, as they would in the original version immediately afterwards. So nothing's lost. It's just you know this fun little thirty second set of videos that pop up every now and then and make for a really fun little experience. But um, for me, the thing that's really struck me is, you know, we talked about this two weeks ago on the pod when I said that this was one of the three most important games um, in in my history, my personal history. And replaying it now, uh, I think that holds up. I, you know, I do not feel bad making that claim two weeks ago. I think, if anything, I feel stronger about it because the game feels seamless to get back into. I mean, it's an amazing experience, very frictionless. It, it's a breezy uh, adventure. It is, you know, it doesn't require level grinding. It doesn't require you to look at a guide. Uh, you can pretty much get through the whole thing, uh, you know, like I said, on your own, uh, at the pace you want. You can grind if you want. There's a few little side things you can do if you feel you know, inclined later in the game. Those open up even more. Um, but it just feels good to play. The pixel art is pretty timeless. I mean, the sprites look amazing now, as they always did. The character art and enemy art, all of it's great. Um, backgrounds, the locales, the enemies, all of it's you know really, really strong. Um, and then the, the battle system holds up. You know, the dual techs and triple techs, the magic system, all of that's a lot of fun. Uh, you know, something that I think really got, you know, uh, lost in in cross I suppose I mean it don't it doesn't feel as snappy to me in in cross and I think that's a you know a, a, a byproduct of just the the hardware and the you know the technical side of things I mean they they classed up the game quite a bit for for cross with the ps1 era 3d graphics and all that but I think I feel like the snappiness of combat suffered a little bit as a result um, but if I'm talking about the game overall, um, what really stands out to me uh, in this sort of frictionless gameplay that I'm talking about is um, last week when we were talking about Like a Dragon, you had made the observation that you wish more games, uh, especially JRPGs, would adopt some kind of like chapter system, mm -hmm. uh, you know, a method of kind of bookmarking you know, a perfect stopping place for the evening or a, a great place to pick back up when you're ready to play again, um, where you don't feel like you're, you know, missing out on anything. You feel like you've accomplished, you know, you've wrapped up some important arc in the in the game's narrative and you can, you know, step away from it for a few days or jump right into the next one if you choose to. Um, and the more I play Trigger, the more I realize that what this game did so well is it gave you these these you know the time travel mechanic which is used as a way to kind of 
tell the player now is a good time to take a break. You know, you you travel back in time to, you know, 600, uh, you know, BC or AD. Uh, you uh, help, uh, you know, frog uh, rescue the the queen, um, and then all of a sudden you're thrust into uh, the far future and, uh, frog is no longer with you. You meet robo and, uh, an entire new narrative arc unfolds over the next hour and a half, two hours, depending on how quick you play. Um, and they feel like these really lovely self-contained vignettes that in the end, you know, the, the time branching and the, the way that these, uh, different eras, you know, cross paths gets a little more complicated and starts to tie together more directly, but, at least in the early hours, and, and I would say, I would argue even late game, um, each visit to a new time period or location feels like its own little self-contained narrative that just builds out the bigger picture of, you know, this looming threat of Lavos, uh, you know, hanging around the, the, the narrative the whole time. Yeah, I, I don't think it's, you know, intentional necessarily, but it does remind me a lot of, um, like, a TV series, you know? Yeah. It's and and I think the the Toriyama um, art <laughs> helps with that. Right. But right. you know, if it, it, I totally agree with you, it feels like you have these these little self-contained narrative arcs that you know at, at the same time as they they give you um, a comfortable stopping point for playing mm -hmm. for the day, um, they also push push it forward because you feel like you're making progress in the story. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, truly, it, it's one of those things where, um, you know, that, that element of progress, right? The, it, it's just every hour of the game feels like some accomplishment has taken place, um, which is not something you can say about a lot of JRPGs. A lot of JRPGs have, you know, filler. They've got, you know, grind sessions. They've got, um, you know, little story narratives where you chase a red herring for three or four hours before getting back on the main, you know, the main, the critical story path. And, I, you know, I think Trigger really benefited from being a very um, streamlined, very focused production, even when it's, you know, something feels early on, like it's disconnected from the larger narrative, it comes back quickly like it, it recovers its place in the narrative very quickly um and everything starts to you know piece together very um sort of seamlessly by the end of the of the game yeah yeah totally it's easy to see why i mean for those reasons and many more that chrono trigger is so beloved mm -hmm. yeah yeah I, you know uh, again i i'm having a blast with it um, i'm just about you know, three quarters of the way through. So I haven't finished it on my replay yet. You know, I, I know exactly where we're headed next and what the, you know, the, the remaining beats are, but um, everything I've played so far has held up really well. So that brings us to our, our conversation about Chrono Cross. Uh, so the last or one of the last um, new animations in that version of Chrono Cross that you're playing is the animation of Luca walking through mm -hmm. the woods and finding a baby in a basket. Yeah. And we find out in Chrono Cross that that baby is Kid or the, right. the Shala clone, right? <laughs> so um, yeah, we should that... say, we should probably say uh, major story spoilers. Forward. <laughs> oh, well, I should have said that earlier. They're not going to play Cross. <laughs> they're not going to play cross yeah yeah so we'll, we'll we'll put that at the beginning uh major story spoilers coming um 
but yeah, so so at the end of the the version of Chrono Cross that you're playing right now, mm-hmm. um, they made you know a, a really um, direct um, effort to connect these two games more closely um, than had ever been done before. Right? There were right. several years that went by between uh, Chrono Trigger and Chrono Cross, and for Chrono Cross, a lot of the team changed. Um, the, the production team changed a lot of what we're talking about that we like so much about Chrono Trigger. So um, mm-hmm. the the character designs are, um, I don't even know how to describe them. They're they're like more just like PS one generic RPG. I mean, what do you think about the character designs? They they feel more in line with like a you know a, a Final Fantasy or um, actually you know what they really remind me of is uh, a little game we talked about before Legend of Dragoon like I feel like the Legend of Dragoon uh, if it had like the hand drawn art um, would be very similar uh, you know the the characters there um, look a lot like it it doesn't have that Akira Toriyama kind of lightness to it it's a little um, I mean they I mean the characters are bright and. You know, there's some really goofy characters in there, but there's something about his style that's just very different, um, and it doesn't it doesn't feel the same. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like they tried to age it up, but they didn't want to go too far with it. Um, so it's got this kind of weird, uncanny in between the, the sort of childish Shakira Toriyama look and the more mature kind of like I said, Legend of Dragoon or or core final fantasy uh character designs it's yeah. a it's a weird it's a weird place it's a weird in between that i don't i don't know that i like all that much yeah yeah that's that's a good way to put it you know it's a it's set in um sort of like an island location like they're all islanders and um yeah this weird in between kind of art style that isn't isn't bad necessarily no it's just, no it's very very different like if you didn't know or if you had never played Chrono Trigger in 1999 and you saw Chrono Cross, you could pick it up and, you know, not even know what you were missing. Um, the, the games just look and felt that different. Um, the Another big, huge change was the, the battle system. You talked a little bit about that before. Mm-hmm. So in, instead of having the um, active um, battle system, you've got like a more passive traditional turn-based battle system that incorporates uh, different percentages for um different um strength attacks which you know isn't bad but it does slow things down a lot it it doesn't feel as kinetic as um, chrono trigger did um you're not really building um you know combos with your characters there were just a lot of changes with with chrono cross and you know you can see why the game didn't sell super well um it is it's it's kind of the black sheep of the the chrono series um yeah but you know playing through it this this time because this this with the radical dreamers edition was the first time that i, I ever actually finished it um oh I really like, yeah yeah i'd started chrono cross um way back on the playstation one and yeah i don't think i got very far at all because i, I was expecting trigger or something like trigger and i mean again major spoilers here um but Chrono Cross doesn't even acknowledge Trigger until I don't know maybe twenty hours into the game. Yeah, yeah, and even then, you know, I don't know. I, some some will disagree, some will agree. It feels like it was um, 
like the the production team felt they had to make the connection not that they had envisioned the connection when the game was originally um developed that's to me that's how it read yeah no i i totally agree so you get like to the 25 uh maybe the 30 hour mark in chrono uh, cross and suddenly all these connections to chrono trigger start popping up lavos is introduced as the the central protagonist again um mm -hmm. you actually slightly changed this time though right say that again He's slightly changed, though, right? He's he's got a new moniker um, in Cross, doesn't he? Yeah, Dream Devourer, if I recall correctly. I think that's what what he goes by. In well, I guess that's uh, technically the end of Chrono Trigger. He he is uh, he transforms from the Time Devourer into the Dream Devourer, which is our our Cross version of of Lavos. Not yeah. to go not to go too off topic. That's yeah more of a, an aside than anything yeah and that's that's him with shala um like under his mind control or um whatever so the we're not we're not super up on all the <laughs> lore of the the chrono series um but yeah so um we've got the the same antagonist um, but you don't find out until much later you actually get to see chrono and marl and luca in chrono cross you see that or i'm sorry yeah and chrono cross you get to see them i think twice um once um when you are in chronopolis and mm -hmm. then the last time right before um you fight the the um, dream devourer or the time devourer time devourer yeah and it's you know, the, the spark of this conversation really came from one of the things that Luca says um, right before you um, you go and you defeat the, the time devourer. Um, all, all of the characters are talking and, and they're trying to make sense of what's happening. And I think it was Luca. It might have been Chrono. But one of the original cast members says that, you know, you as Surge have to fix things that they broke. You know, they were mm -hmm. so um, they were so flippant about time travel and um, ending future timelines so that they could defeat Lavos that the whole reason that Chrono Cross even exists is and that this timeline exists is because they decided they had to stop Lavos. And so all of the people who are in those future timelines cease to exist. And um, it, so th they're reflecting, the, the developers are reflecting back on Chrono Trigger and some of, honestly, some of the lightness that you were talking about in the character designs, I, I think that that um, sort of playfulness is, is there in the plot as well. You know, that, that playfulness with time travel, not worried about the consequences of it. And Chrono Cross is really grappling with that part. You know, there mm -hmm. are serious repercussions to messing with time travel like this. Um, you know, we saved a lot of people in Chrono Trigger, but a lot of other people got hurt. A lot of other people don't exist anymore because of what we right. did in Chrono Trigger. So I, I appreciated that in Cross this time playing through, you know, like, okay, this game is truly connected. Um, when, you know, when Luca at the end of Chrono Trigger sees the baby in the basket, that is the Shala clone uh, who grows up to be kid in Chrono Cross. Um, there's a lot of connections there that I really appreciated. And it made me think about Chrono Cross as um, like, it made me think about Chrono Cross as the effect to Chrono 
chrono triggers uh, cause. Yeah, I think I said that right. There are right. too many chronos in here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, um, and this might be kind of just, you know, this might be spoiling you a little bit if you didn't do this, this part, but um, did, did you end up playing and beating the um, the Radical Dreamers as well as part of this? Did you did you get through that yet? Have you finished it? I haven't finished it, but I've I've read up on what happens. So, apparently, though, there was uh, Masato Kato, the the writer of Chrono Cross and Chrono Trigger, um, was was given some ad- and Radical Dreamers for that for that matter, was given some additional text at the end of Chrono Cross's credits if you beat both games and then replay the credits. So mm. if you beat Chrono uh, Radical Dreamers, beat Chrono Cross and replay, uh, this is there was a story about this on IGN. Uh, I believe it was uh, Rebecca Valentine um, over at IGN wrote about this, um, that they added a, a little narrative, just kind of an outro from the perspective of Gil or McGill from uh, Radical Dreamers, who has been uh, theorized and pretty explicitly stated to be um, Magus from Chrono Trigger, right? Yeah, the reincarnation, uh, right? Yeah, yeah. And and he comments something along the lines of kind of like closure, experiencing closure in the wake of the, the death of the Time Devourer. Um, suggesting this sort of loop, this closed loop, uh, this attempt to save Shala from Chrono Trigger in through the events of Chrono Cross. Um, there's there's some additional dialogue. I, you know, I don't want to get into the specifics of it in order to explain, but it seems to suggest that that these games have been even more deliberately tied to each other in this additional dialogue. If you if you beat both the uh, editions, you get that that extra dialogue, which seems to suggest that the narrative arc of Shala has come to a close as well as Magus's kind of uh, open threats from from Trigger. Uh, they're kind of wrapped up nice and neatly at the end of this game. Which oh, I thought nice. was really cool. No, I didn't realize that. Yeah, yeah. And and like so one thing that I, I've you know that always struck me, like I said, about Cross is is as you said, this idea of the the fixing the repercussions, right, of the prior game, right, of the the previous game's sort of events. The, the, the impetus for Chrono Cross is we need to fix the things that we messed up in Chrono Trigger. Um, and, and that's kind of like this common trope of, of time travel narratives, right, that, that something goes wrong when you go back to the past to try to fix something in the present. And so you're stuck in this kind of cycle or loop or series of runbacks, right, in order to correct uh, the errors uh, of of the past. Um, and it, it's it, it is a I mean it's a great framing device if you want a sequel to a game, right? I think um, when we talk about Chrono Cross as a sequel to Chrono Trigger, um, it it makes me think a little bit about you know what why do people want these games to have direct sequels, right? Why do people so often want, you know, why was there the 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 hype for a Chrono Trigger sequel? A game that I thought wrapped up very neatly, very nicely in its narrative was was very well crafted, well designed, and had a you know a compelling and satisfying um, 
you know, close. Um, so we get cross, you know, what is it that, that want, that makes fans want to see these games, you know, carried on these stories continued, even when they've come to something of a, you know, a traditional close. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, Chrono Trigger is such a tightly told story. Um, again, those, those little episodic, um, sections of the game all really add on to each other for a really compelling ending um that that feels complete it feels total um you know what is it that that makes us want a sequel to that i think it's less about the story and more about i just want more of that thing that i thought was so good you know i think part of the thing about chrono cross that we love about it. We haven't said it explicitly yet, but Chrono, uh, I'm sorry, Chrono Trigger. Chrono Trigger is like it, it, you mentioned this, it doesn't waste time. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's not one of those games that, um, again, playing through, um, Xenoblade Chronicles, the definitive edition, like that's a game that, that doesn't respect the player's time. Chrono Trigger does everything mm-hmm. in it adds up to this big conclusion. It's, it's really, really tight. And, you know, it, it, it just feels like a complete unit that you can play through really quickly. And I think, I think that leaves us wanting more, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like you can play through Chrono, Chrono Trigger so quickly, you're, you're wanting that bigger, more expansive RPG, you know, another arc that's going to take me to this, this, you know, dark world or a dream world or another continent or something, but, but just more because that's what we're so used to and we didn't get it. Mm -hmm. So I guess a question for you then, you know, having most recently of the two of us completed Chrono Cross, you know, I haven't gotten around to the remaster yet. I plan to do so soon, but, um, you know, I don't think we've really explicitly stated this or had you you talk about this, but how do you feel it holds up as a sequel? Because you've mentioned the the impetus for its place as a sequel, why it's considered a sequel to Chrono Cross. But did you think that that, that narrative setup was justified, that it was earned, that the, the game... Um, holds itself well as a sequel to Chrono Cross? Or do you think that this is a game better approached, as many people have suggested in the past, as its own thing separate from Chrono Trigger? I mean, that's a suggestion a lot of people make, and it does seem kind of like a flippant suggestion. Like, just, you'll enjoy it more if you don't think about, you know, this being the Chrono Trigger sequel, even though, like you said, it very much is. Do you think that's a fair assessment? Or would you say, you know, having recently re-experienced it, that... No, it does enough to justify its place as the direct sequel to Chrono Trigger. I think it is a fair assessment. And if you're just trying to get into the game, um, I think approaching it independent of Chrono Trigger is a good way to just get into the game. Mm-hmm. Um, it, in many ways, it feels like Chrono Cross is two different games. You know, the, the first half is really this self-contained unit. And then the second half is truly the sequel to Chrono Trigger. So are we talking like post or like Chronopolis forward? Yeah. 
yeah, Chronopolis forward, like from there, when you, you learn about Lavos and um, you, you learn about time travel and, um, and, and what had happened in the past with Chrono and Luca and Marl, like at that point, it really becomes sort of a different game. Um, but, you know, I think that to really get the most out of Chrono Cross, you have to think about it as not really a sequel to Chrono Trigger, but an expansion of Chrono Trigger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's, and, and that's part of why we wanted to talk about this during this episode, that just like the weight of the sequel, what does it mean to be a sequel? You know, is Chrono Cross a sequel? And I, you know, I don't know if it really is. I, I think Chrono Cross is more of an extension of Chrono Trigger. It is um, interesting. I think it could be more enjoyed if you can do two things at once. If you can accept it for what it is mm-hmm. and at the same time, um, hold on to the, the lore of Chrono Trigger and see the connections and see yeah. the parallels and see ultimately that Chrono Cross is the really the, the direct repercussion of what happened in Chrono Trigger, of your actions as a player in Chrono Trigger. Yeah, I think that's actually a way that I've never thought of this connection before. Um, and I think it's only in replaying now and having this conversation that your idea of this is, a, is an expansion, right? You know, the trigger plays with time travel. That's its conceit, right? You, 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 you're in the same locations in different times. Um, theoretically, right, the, the world in which Chrono Cross takes place is that same world in a different time right a different timeline a different version of that world um but it's a parallel universe right so it's not the exact same timeline i guess there's there's a couple timelines working in tandem with each other um and so you jump between locations along you know uh, different timelines as opposed to jumping across a single timeline but in some respects chrono cross would not be out of place as a location you take the epic to in Chrono Trigger. I mean, in some ways, the events of Chrono Cross could play out from the perspective of Chrono and the gang without really feeling that out of place or that unlikely. I, I it, which maybe you know now that I'm rethinking about it is like you know there could have been an argument for a chrono cross that starred the original cast or at least some of the original cast right um and i wonder why they went with the decision to to completely separate that out from from the originals and just have the the trigger cast come back as recurring and i think again to me that just speaks to the idea that the the team behind it the creative team behind it really did want to go a different direction but were maybe um you know, pressured or at least felt the weight of needing to tie it back to trigger in, in more explicit ways. Yeah, I mean, by this time, so just a quick history lesson, Chrono Cross was, um, it was released in 1999. That's the same year in which um, in Chrono Trigger, uh, Lavos, uh comes out of the ground right and attacks and that that's the apocalypse um so you know that that's kind of an interesting connection too um but by 1999 
you know, Chrono Trigger, people, people knew it. It was, it was already appreciated. It wasn't one of those games that people love looking back on it. Um, you know, 20 mm-hmm. years later, like it, it was renowned in its time. I mean, it was like secret of mana, right? Like everybody loved this game. So I think the production team, you know, was, was thinking about that, right? Like they were, they were thinking like, how do we follow up this game? That's like a legend in its own time. And you know, the quick, the quickest and the easiest way to do it is just go a different direction. Right. Yeah. Zig when everybody's expecting you to zag and, Honestly, I, I think it's a good game. It just, it, yeah. it, it, it didn't follow in with some of the tropes of a t- typical um, JRPG sequel, right? Like, right? like we were talking a little before the pod about what people expect from a, you know, s- second installment in a JRPG series. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... I've got a couple of uh, just like la- like closing comments on Chrono Cross, and then I think we should take a break and come back and talk about that, right? The you know what is it you know to be a JRPG sequel? Um, what do we expect? What do we you know traditionally get? Um, and and why is it notable when a, a company or a developer you know takes a different path? But um, it I know that it sounds like I'm being pretty harsh about Cross, um, you know, in my sort of cross examining of you. And this conversation, right? I, you know, I'm a big fan of Trigger. I talked a lot about it. I've been carrying most of that conversation, replaying and whatnot. But um, I do think I should state that as a game, I find Chrono Cross to be um, highly, highly enjoyable. A absolute uh, gem of the PS1 era. Um, I do think that the even though it feels a little less kinetic, like you said, a little less snappy, right, to play. Uh, I like the the um like field color system right where you, yeah, the you, know, you get, system yeah the elements where you get more you get stronger if you use the same sort of element type over and over again and if your character is you know of matching uh, of the matching element that there's some stuff that you actually have to do with that in order to get the best ending in the game um you know even though triple text and double text are and dual text are you know minimized there's only a handful of them in cross they're still fun to use um, and i do think that the risk reward sort of gamble of um do i start with you know weak attacks and build up towards heavy attacks um you know in this combo um and the way magic kind of is this this weird kind of slotted system where you can kind of gamble with making spells stronger or weaker, uh, affecting how often you can cast them or you know how much damage they do is really cool. So there's a lot of really cool things that it brings to the genre. Plus the music is maybe um, it may be uh, Yasunori Matsuda's best soundtrack of all time, um, and that's from someone who loves everything that he has ever done. I've already said it before. My favorite. You know, video game composer bar none, um, even over Umatsu. Um, but Chrono Cross might be his best work. It might be one of the best, uh, if not the best, you know, video game soundtracks out there, in my opinion. Um, so it's a great game, and I don't want to like downsell my love of it. Right? I, I want to make that clear. I just happen to like Trigger a little bit better. No, it, it's a great game, and I, I totally agree. I, I think I have a much softer spot for it now. I, so I recently played Chrono Trigger again. I played it like at the end of last year and in preparation of Chrono Cross. And 
I think looking at it as an extension is the best way to do it. Like, I don't think you would really appreciate Chrono Cross if you didn't play Chrono Trigger. I just think mm-hmm. you you would get like to that halfway point at Chronopolis and you'd be like, what is going on? What, yeah. You know, why do I care about these kids? <laughs> That's um, true. So I, I think, you know, playing Chrono Trigger first is the way to go and then going to Chrono Cross, but just knowing what you're getting. I mean, yeah. another thing that that um, le- we probably want to touch on before we take a break is just the the actual characters, right? You know, and, and Chrono, uh, Chrono Trigger, you have your your three main characters and you add on a single character from each um, time period and all those stories are um like you said earlier they're 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 really connected um you feel like you're moving forward like you have locomotion and those individual characters have arcs right yeah they all feel very fully developed by the end of the game for the most part yeah even the frog but compared to chrono cross Right. Like th- this is one of your big gripes about cross. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's there's too many characters to care about. Um, that's kind of the the big complaint that I have, which is I want to care about the people in my party in any game that I'm playing. And there's just so many who show up to show up, um, who have one or two interesting scenes with with surge and the and kid and the rest of them um, and then just kind of are there for the remainder of the journey um, don't participate too much in dialogue don't have a whole lot to do with the larger narrative um, I do think that there's some cool stuff it does with that which is you know the there's a choice early on where you have to choose between one of three characters which affects which dungeons you go into and what order and some areas are locked off if you do a particular you know choose a particular person and that then affects certain people that you can recruit later so you have to do multiple playthroughs to play with everybody which is cool but again so many of the characters just aren't memorable um i couldn't name more than maybe 10 of the the cast and i think there's something like 30 plus characters in uh chrono cross if i recall correctly yeah, I'm maybe, probably underselling that. Yeah, maybe even more. Um, you know, one more one more point I want to make about Chrono Cross before we take a break and move on just to talk about sequels. Um, I think it's really interesting how in Cross they they go back to that that familiar JRPG uh, trope of killing the protagonist. Mm-hmm. You know, in in Trigger, yeah. obviously Chrono dies, and you don't have to bring him back. Um, you can complete the game without him. And in um, Chrono Cross, it, Surge has a literal death um, before the game even starts. But he, he has a metaphorical one, too, right? When he becomes Lynx. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that's a big part that we never talked to. We haven't talked about yet. And, you know, Lynx being his father, he he literally becomes his father. It, it's You've got all these... Um, these reverberations of, of sins of the father. And, and I think it just, it's a really nice um, correlation with um, the, the cause and effect of, of these two games just played out in miniature.
And we're back. Matthew, so you asked me in the last segment if I thought that Chrono Trigger really was a sequel. So I'm going to turn that question back on you and, and get into this bigger conversation about JRPG sequels. Is Chrono Trigger a sequel? Should we talk about it as a sequel? Yeah, so I'm going to deflect your question just a little bit uh, to, to kind of set up why I wanted to have this conversation, right? Because this is sort of like the the real side conversation that came out of, you know, our talking about Chrono Cross and Chrono Trigger just off, off the pod, you know, for the last couple of weeks. And it's this idea of the JRPG sequel generally. To me, that's the most interesting conversation to be had here, which is, you know, what is a JRPG sequel and... Um, you know, what do we expect from them? And I would say that for a number of reasons, yes, Chrono Cross is absolutely a sequel to Chrono Trigger. Um, now, what that means and, and how directly a sequel it is um, varies depending on what you mean by that. Um, you know, for example, uh, would we call Final Fantasy II a, a sequel to the first Final Fantasy? Some would say yes, some would say absolutely not, right? And so it depends. Is Does a sequel have to continue the narrative of a previous game? Does it have to uh, bring back characters that we know from uh, the last adventure? Um, you know, what what are the, the conditions that that make a sequel a sequel? And um, in the case of Chrono Cross, I mean, just the fact that trigger, you know, uh, trigger characters recur as major roles, the final boss is essentially the same boss as you know, Chrono Trigger, um, Shala uh, via Kid uh, plays a very important role in the narrative. Um, it definitely justifies it as as a triggered uh, sequel, right? And I, I think that's that's fair. But I would also argue that, and, I, and we've already said this on the pod so far, so I won't belabor this. Um, you could approach this game as a standalone experience and have just as good a time, if not a better time, for for some people. You know, um, I think one thing that turned a lot of people off from Chrono Cross was the expectation of it as a Chrono Trigger sequel. Um, you know, building those expectations too high really kind of uh, made it fall flat for a lot of players, I think. Yeah, I totally agree with you there. Um, so let's let's open the conversation a little bit and talk a little more about um, JRPG sequels. So, like for your, your Final Fantasy example, mm-hmm. um, what what do we get from, and I'm putting you on the spot here, uh, yeah. what do we get from a JRPG sequel in general? So, you know, we've played through the first one. These games yeah. are always about saving the world, right. um, you know, overcoming right. these huge obstacles, and now we're ready to do it again. And, yeah. and we want to stay within that same universe. So, I mean, what do you think about that? Well, I think I think what... JRPGs learned early on and and have largely stuck to with a few notable exceptions is the fact that a the next game in a series needs to needs to replace like 80% of the the well not 80% but um, maybe 50% of the DNA of the previous game um, at least and it, it absolutely needs to replace the the characters in most cases right again with a few minor exceptions to this or notable exceptions um because uh, like you said right the 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 stakes for a jrpg are almost always one of you know two or three things you either save the world from uh, an impending apocalypse you um thwart 
uh, an evil empire's takeover of the entire world, or uh, you kill God, right? Those are like your three JRPG narratives. I'm obviously being hyperbolic here. There's plenty more, you know, very interesting uh, JRPGs out there that have done more nuanced stories, but the vast majority are one of those three things. Um, and as a result, how do you follow, right? How do you follow a game where you literally... And, you know, figuratively, if you want to you know, say it, defeat God, right? Like, you can't just pick up again and have the same characters have any weight. There's there's nothing for them to do. They've done it all. Um, and this has largely been the problem, or I should say the opportunity for, like, something like a Final Fantasy, right? They learned very quickly, let's just do something different, right? We'll a new cast of characters. We'll keep the same enemies, the same spell names, the same, you know, uh, battle system. We'll tweak a few things, you know, from the art side and the mechanics side, but mostly there will be a lot of familiar components on a comp completely new narrative, right? That's the traditional JRPG sequel. And then yeah. you have your exception games. Um, and I, you know, I want to touch on this real quick and then I'm going to pass it over to you. You know, what are your thoughts on this? Because we mentioned Chrono Cross as kind of, to me, this, this feels like Square's first, like big direct sequel. Um, and it wasn't even, you know, a truly direct sequel in the way that a lot of people wanted it to be. Um, I think you actually have to go forward a few years to Final Fantasy X and 10-2 before we see the first example of the, you know, really fully fleshed out example of what the standard, you know, JRPG sequel that is a direct sequel to the previous game tends to look like. And that almost always involves one of two things, either rescuing someone who died in the previous game, right? So the justification is there for, even though we've killed God in the previous game, we lost someone important on the way. So we've got to figure out a way to bring them back. Right, that's the justification for the sequel. Or um, there's a time travel element where there's maybe not a character you bring back, but something that went wrong the first run through, so we can try to do it again and get it right on the second playthrough. And that's where you get the those sort of direct sequels. Examples of this: Final Fantasy X and X2, Yuna trying to bring Titus back, right, in X2, um, a series from the PlayStation Two called Shadow Hearts did something very similar. Um, for those of you that have played this series, you'll you'll be familiar with this. The first game ends with the main character's love interest dying in the bad ending. You save her in the good ending, but the sequel follows the canonical bad ending from the first game, which is a really compelling way to build a sequel, right? Something went wrong in the first game. You didn't save the person you loved. So the second game is, well, let's play out what that would have looked like if it were a full adventure to recover that person, right? To bring them back from the brink. Um, and uh, obviously, you know, there are a handful of other series that have done these direct sequels, but I would say the vast majority of JRPG sequels tend to be sequels in name only. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and just from a strictly business perspective, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to make these direct sequels. You know, you, right. you are relying on an installed player base. Um, you know, you are automatically starting from a much smaller group of potential buyers than you were for the first game. Yeah. You're, you're having to rely on people having bought the game, not only bought the first game, but finishing uh, finished the second game and caring about it enough to want to pick up a second one. So from a business perspective, it doesn't really make a lot of sense 
going back to what you said a little bit earlier about um, them, them, uh, the developers holding on to certain tropes or conventions, um, like also a great business case, right? Like we don't need to rebuild the battle system for uh, Final mm-hmm. Fantasy. We can reuse it. We can reuse the summons. We can reuse the the spells and how they work. Um, yeah, there's just a lot of um, a lot of um, time and money savings there. You know, just yeah. just keeping things consistent. The other thing that I, I wanted to point out about sequels, um, and and th- this is kind of maybe like a halfway step um, or half step between um, the two different types of sequels we're talking about, the direct sequel and the sequel in name only. But um, the Xenoblade series, Xenoblade mm. uh, Chronicle series has done a really good job of, you know, the, it's going to be three games um, coming up this year, um, but they're all very self-contained um, stories, except they're not, Right. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Yeah. Truly. I mean, and it seems uh, this is another instance, I think, where it seems that the connections between the games were mapped on later. Um, And Xeno in particular, the Xeno series is most noteworthy, in my opinion, of of this conversation we're having, because if we if we want to trace the lineage of Xenoblade, we have to go all the way back to the PS1 with the um, with the release of Xenogears, right? The first game by that creative team, um, which was a Square Enix game originally planned to be Final Fantasy VIII that uh, spun off and became its own thing because it was too dark for a Final Fantasy. I didn't Um, realize that. Yeah, it was it was originally supposed to be eight, um, if I recall correctly. Um, it was going to be either eight or seven, but it was going to be a, a mainline Final Fantasy game for a, a brief time, right? You know, I, I say that in, in in concept only, it was meant to be, but it got spun off into its own thing, um, and it came out, you know, in between the time of you know Final Fantasy and and Chrono Cross, right? At at that era. Um, and it was planned to be in the credits. The credits end with, um, like, Xeno, it says something like Xenogears uh, Chapter 5, right? They were going for a Star Wars thing where this was going to be six games that would all be interconnected, um, that would tell a larger story. Um, that got shut down when Xenogears, you know, didn't sell as well as it was anticipated to and, you know, had a lot of troubled development as, as well known. Um, still my favorite game of all time as far as JRPGs go, um, just to put that out there. But then the PlayStation 2 came out and the creative team behind this went to form Monolith Soft, right? The team who now makes the Xenoblade games. Um, but they were under the Bandai Namco umbrella on the PlayStation 2 for a long time, and they created the Xeno Saga series. Again, this was meant to be the fully realized sort of Xenogears that never was, um, rebranded as Xeno Saga. A lot of the iconography carried over uh, that they, you know, what they could use, what they could recover from what they didn't have under uh, Square's control. Um, Got one game in, and they rescaled to a three-game series. Um, the second game, highly controversial, very troubled, but the first and third game considered by many to be you know, uh, exceptional uh, JRPGs. And then we get the Xenoblade series, right? Nintendo comes in, picks up Monolith Soft. You know, they go off and do Baton Kaidos and a few other games in the meantime, um, and they return to the Xeno universe, rebranded yet again, 
as Xenoblade with some new uh, interesting elements. Mechs have always played a big part of this, which is why you see that in most of the Xeno games. Um, and uh, but you were talking about Xenoblade one to two, right? This this weird sequel. Even though Xenoblade Chronicles two is the third Xenoblade Xenoblade game, right? Yeah, good point. There's, there's Xenoblade Chronicles X that comes in the middle of the two games. It's a completely different narrative set on a different world, takes the mech combat from, you know, the older Xeno games and puts it more at the forefront. Um, and yet, uh, you know, Monolith Soft has gone back and decided, you know, we're going to actually tie the first game of our series back to this second game and build this into kind of a new trilogy, right? This is our new arc. Um, so we've got Xenoblade Chronicles 3 coming out, which is going to be uh, apparently the game that will tie 1 and 2 more completely together into 3. It's a very Chrono Trigger to Chrono Cross situation, very convoluted uh, JRPG development history, though. Yeah, I remember whenever the the original sneak peek of Xenoblade uh, 3 came out, everybody was like, oh my god, is that the Monado? Is that the Monado? That looks like right. the Monado. <laughs> And just like, I think that's the magic of some of these sequels that, that, you know, they don't have to be like true sequels. Like I don't need to play Chrono in the next game. Um, yeah. But I do want to see those familiar um, um, artifacts or, um, and, you know, something more than, than just Fyra, you know, calling it the, the same, the spell, the same thing in multiple right. games. Like I want to see something that connects the lore of the games um, that for me, for to, to wrap up this conversation, for me, the, the JRPG sequels, when the, they're done well, they they tie the lore together in a way that makes it feel like a more fully realized, fully fleshed out um, universe that I can return to with a new story um, that may or may not be connected to the previous story. Yeah, I agree. I think I think the best, truly, I think the best sequels are um, tend to be the sequels in name only. I think the direct sequel um, in the JRPG genre has long been, with again a few notable exceptions, the the kind of black sheet, the the misstep in a lot of ways. So, um, you know, I think that Chrono Cross is the you know one of the rare examples where. Um, it falls somewhere between the direct and the in-name only. I think that there's a justification for classifying it as either, um, depending on your perspective. But I, I do think that there's something to be said about um, the decision, right? The you know, whilst fans want to continue the original journey with the same characters, the reality is that those adventures are never going to be as satisfying as the first, you know, run through with that that cast. Um, it's never going to feel the same if we try to do it again. You can't like reclaim that magic in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah, and I was just thinking about it in terms of um, like other stories and and books and movies and um, TV shows and stuff. If they were willing to go lower or smaller on you know, the plot for some of these initial games, maybe. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that's a big thing. But then again, like we were talking about earlier, the the grand, um, like, saving of the world, you know, is it even an RPG if you're just, uh, I don't know, doing one year of, of school at Hogwarts or something? Absolutely. <laughs> All right. 
We're going to leave it there. And when we come back, we're going to talk about our game recommendations of the week. Okay, um, my game recommendation of the week is actually um, tied really closely to our bigger conversation about uh, Chrono Cross and um, Chrono Trigger this week. Okay, I, what, are, what, are, what are you talking about? What are you playing? What are we? What are we discussing? Listen, this is uh, this is sort of breaking one of our cardinal rules. It's a non Nintendo game technically, um, but it ties in so closely to these these two games. I, I had to get into it. I am not a fan of mobile games in general, mobile RPGs especially. You know, it's too long. I don't want to play them on my phone. It's too small. Um, but I downloaded another Eden. Nice. Because I wanted to see the kid character and the um, Harl character from Chrono Cross in it. Yeah. Um, it's a, actually a really solid JRPG. I kind of wish they would port it over to the Switch for, you know, 99 cents or something i think it would make a, a pretty good turn-based um switch game you know I, I don't think it would make sense on something like the ps5 or the the xbox right. but it's a really fun um kind of a, a quirky but um really fun jrpg on your smartphone and yeah. at, at some point you get cameos from other characters from from different um different JRPGs and like I said, kid and Harl make a guest appearance um, in this particular game. Yeah, it's great. I've played a little bit of it. Um, enjoyed it. You know, I'm not a, I'm not as averse to, to mobile games. I think as you might be, I think I've played probably a few, few more of them. I've sunk more than a handful of hours in at least a couple of gotcha games, but um, that was a fun one. Uh, not too much as far as like, you know, the, being a heavy single-player campaign, the, the the microtransactions and stuff didn't feel overwhelming or um, you know in your face, which was I thought was a, a good element of that particular game. Yeah, did you finish it? Uh, I didn't finish it. I, I I you know in the I finished like its initial release, but it's had so many new chapters and stuff added onto it since I played it that I've I've you know, I couldn't say that I finished it at this point. Yeah, it, it seems like it's it's just gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah. Um, and and the the Harl and Kid release is I think the latest one. Um, mm -hmm. It's you know it's a lot to ask to spend like thirty or forty hours playing on a, a smartphone. Um, but it's it's a really fun game if if you've got the time. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So my recommendation this week is not going to be a game um but it is going to tie into our conversation for today um and that is actually i'm going to recommend a book to all of our listeners um there's a a little company uh called bitmap books bitmap books um that puts together some really really nice looking uh hardbound uh video game history books 
Um, they are often uh, visual guides, you know, heavy on the illustrations and um, light on the text. This one in particular that I'm going to suggest is called A Guide to Japanese Role-Playing Games. It is a 652-page uh, hardback book that is full of uh, full page entries for various JRPGs from the uh, you know the NES uh, and well, even earlier really uh, all the way up to uh, you know modern day. Um, it is fantastic. Uh, you you can you know the, it goes out of print every now and then. It sells out and they do these sort of short runs. It's currently in the midst of a pre order run um, that started on the ninth. Um, and, and so you can get it now um, from, from bitmapbooks.com. Um, beautiful book, hardbound. You get a free PDF version of it when you order it, so you can start reading it while you wait for your pre-order to ship in if you want to kind of peruse it. Um, and it's just a really cool piece of video game history uh, with some really awesome artwork from uh, JRPGs of every era. Um, a lot of obscure stuff, a lot of well-known stuff, um, well-written, well-researched, and uh, worth your time. Um, if for no other reason than to help you find a whole lot of really cool games and series that you've never heard of to check out, you know. Um, in some of the preview images, uh, you know, I haven't played a Wild Arms game in a very long time, and it just reminded me of what a great series that was and how much I miss it. So, uh, you know, check it out. Uh, grab that book pre-order yourself a copy and, and get to reading. Yeah, we'll add a link um, in the, the pod notes, description. Yeah. Um, so I haven't haven't um, read that book, but I, I've seen people talk about it on YouTube and, and people flip through it. So it also includes a lot of um, games that we didn't get in the states right yeah absolutely absolutely yeah because it's it's primarily a you know let's look at the the japanese side of the industry right because it's you know so they are a lot of untranslated non uh english games but that's part of the appeal to it for me for sure yeah absolutely and there are plenty of uh plenty of english um, patches for those games especially those older games that are, are available now if, if you are so inclined yeah great recommendation all right, we're going to leave it there. Thanks for listening. Thanks for subscribing. Matthew, see you. Justin, see you next week.